If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 11 to, to the very end of it. Um, we're taking another week to get ready to prepare ourselves spiritually and just looking down the road a little ways. How can we draw closer to God? How can we have a year where we really have an experience with God that's uh, day by day, meaningful and um, guiding our lives? Uh, today, I want to give you four principles, four biblical principles for giving to the church. Um, this is the, one of those topics in the church that can be kind of touchy. People kind of get a little nervous when you talk about money, but the Bible has a lot to say about money, how we spend money, earn money, well, how we give money, how do we, you know, what do we do with money? Do we save it? Do we, you know, do we spend it as we wish? Um, Jesus talked a lot about money. So I want to just share these principles today to guide you through the rest of the year. Uh, these are principles that I, Ann and I have applied to our marriage and our life, our Christian faith. And so I hope that uh, they're encouraging to you. I just first want to say thanks for coming out today. I know that the weather might have been kind of scary, but I, as I've driven across town this morning, it was pretty decent and things were okay. So thanks for making that extra effort to come out on a cold winter day. So let's pray and we'll ask God to bless our time of worship in the word. Father, today we come before you. We thank you for everything that you give us and you've done for us. Lord, you uh, have done so much for us uh, in sending your son, Jesus Christ, in making yourself known, in creating the world that we live in, this world that even has snow falling out of the sky what a what a what a wonderful blessing it is to see that snow that day, yesterday and the day before thank you father for these just common blessings that that lighten up our life that um, show such a diversity in your creation lord you are such a great god and father thank you for bringing us here to your church lord you, we are your church this morning here and we are a diverse group thank you for everybody that's here that's different we're all uh, uniquely created by you. So we want to praise you for that as well. And Father, today, as I uh, speak about the, these four principles from your word, Lord, I pray you would guide and direct my thoughts, my heart, and my mouth. The words that come out of my mouth, I hope that they honor and please you, and I hope that they strengthen and build up the faith of your church. And we thank you again, Father, for this very day. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said last Sunday, every new year is a new beginning, and every year is a journey, right? Yeah, it's all. It's not a. It's not a do-over. It's a whole new beginning. It's a. It's a fresh start. So the question is, how are we going to live as Jesus people in 2019? I think that's a big question today in our world and our culture because uh, the church has got to live for Jesus because our world won't. And our world won't be drawn to Jesus if we don't live for him. Matter of fact, they'll see, they will see us as hypocrites if we don't live for Jesus. So how do we do that? How do we apply our faith to our life, to our daily life? How do we apply our whole selves to this thing called being a Christian? For most people, life is made up of days and events, you know, work, vacation, school. If you're still going to school like some of the guys are. Holidays, trips, get-togethers with family and friends. For Christians, our life is a journey also. It's a journey about all those things. All of us have had those experiences. We've all gone to school. We've all had jobs. We've all had vacations or holidays. We've all had trips and get-togethers of some type. So we have those types. That's our journey too as well. But our lives ought to include living with God, don't you think? Amen? Living with God, living for God, I think is the way to think about it. When I first became a Christian 29 years ago, uh, we were going to a church in Salina, Kansas, and I heard 
about giving to God through the church for the first time in my entire life. I heard a word that really kind of scared me off at first. It really troubled me at first. That word was tithe. As, does tithe ever, ever scare anybody? You know, yeah, tithe kind of kind of can be kind of a scary word. 10% of my income? Doesn't the government take enough already, right? That's what a lot of people are afraid of when they hear that word tithe. Ann and I were just married when we first started going to church. We had Katie and we had Rachel, and money was tight back then in the 80s, in the early 90s. Plus, I had some debt that I had built up over the years. So tithing to me at that point, at the beginning of my Christian faith, sounded like an impossible goal, something that I don't know if I can do. It might sound impossible for you. I don't know. Maybe money is tight in your house, really tight. Today it can be. Maybe for you, some you've built up some debt over the time, over time, over life, and it's been a struggle for you to deal with that. So I'm not going. I'm not going to guilt you this morning into tithing. I'm not going to guilt you into giving money. It's not my place to do that. It's not my place, my position to guilt you into anything. To be quite honest, what matters with giving, with our giving, is very simple: is your giving from what's left over. Or is your giving the very best that you can give and just maybe a little bit more? See, giving ought to be an offering. It ought to be a free will offering. No one forces you to put anything in the offering plate, and that's the way it should be. So it ought to be a free will offering, something that you're willing to give away to God through the church. But it also ought to be a little bit of a sacrifice, don't you think? Yeah, God looks God is very pleased when we make sacrifices, especially for Him. The Old Testament teaches. Giving should be a reminder that God is more important than our money or our possessions. Giving in the offering plate ought to remind us that, hey, God comes first. God is more important than that money or our possessions that we can buy with that money. And the Bible teaching that giving always benefits the person who gives to God. When you read about giving in the Bible, it always talks about how there's a reward for that. Listen to Proverbs 11:24. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another man withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. There's this principle with God, this practice in this world, this result, that when we give freely to God, what is God's and what belongs to Him, and what we ought to give to Him, we are rewarded. We do better in life. Some way. Not always in the checkbook, obviously, but some way we do better. But when we hold on to these things and keep things even from God, we seem to slip into poverty, spiritual poverty, material poverty, emotional, mental poverty as well. So I want to share with you this morning these four principles for giving to the church. Now, there are all kinds of good causes in our world today, right? You know, if, you, if you're in the workplace, there are all kinds of good causes that does great things for people uh, and for children and for animals and all this. So there's all kinds of good causes. But as Christians, we're called to give to God through his church. That's where our primary giving should be. So these principles will only work when they're used for giving to God to the church. So the first principle, if you have your outline ready, your bulletin, your outline ready, pencil, number one, give to God what is God's. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Give to God what is God. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Paul writes there. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. 
Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Give to God what is God. Here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. He's talking about our literal body. He's talking about this flesh and blood. He's talking about uh, uh, the fact that the way we live. How do we live? That our physical bodies aren't meant to be used for sin. Christians should not participate in activities that lead to sinning, such as what? Drunkenness. Something that our culture loves today. Promotes big today. Sexual immorality. And selfishness. But Paul was also talking about much more. He's talking about our lives as a whole. Not just the body or the mind or the work or the relaxation or the worship or the rest. He's talking about our lives as a whole. That's why Paul says living sacrifices because he's talking about our lives as a whole. You want to be able to approach God. If you really do want to please God, then you have to give Him all that you are. Not just 10%. Not just the money in the plate. So this is much more than the tithe, isn't it? Yeah. When approaching God in worship, we should never hold back anything. Not our singing, good or bad. Not our acknowledgement of Him and His greatness. Not our submission to Him as our Lord and Savior. Not in anything. And certainly not with our giving as well. Look at verse 2. Paul says in the beginning of verse 2, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is the pattern of this world in regard to money? What is the pattern? It's a one word. Greed, right? That's to be expected. When the world is self-focused on itself, when the world is really doesn't care about anybody else, when the world says it's all about me, greed is going to be the pattern. Greed is holding on to your money with a tight grip. It's fulfilling all your wants instead of gratefully giving to God what is His. And by the way, what is God's? Have you ever asked yourself that? What is God? It's you. It's us. All that we are. That's what God wants. All that we are. Martin Luther once said this, there are three conversions necessary to eternal life. Three conversions. Conversion of the heart. That starts first. Conversion of the mind, the way we think, the way we believe, and the conversion of our possessions. We have to let go of things. We have to put God on the throne of our life. And I know our world says radically different things, but the fact of the matter is, this is what God wants. Jesus often confronted people about releasing hold of their money, letting go of things of this life by giving to God what is God's. Listen to this. In Matthew twenty-two nineteen, some religious men went to Jesus, and they challenged him about paying taxes to the Roman government. Listen to what he said in Matthew twenty-two nineteen. He says, show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a Daenerys, and he asked them, what is the portrait on this, and whose inscription? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. Those religious leaders, they weren't the common people. They were the religious leaders. They went and challenged Jesus about giving and giving to God. They didn't like paying taxes to the Romans. They, didn't, they hated the Romans. 
They didn't want to do that, but they didn't really want to give to God what was God's either. And that can be a real problem even in the church today. Listen, it's beneficial to give to God what is God's. But you will only discover that benefit, you will only discover that blessing when you give to God what is His. So the first principle is to give to God what is God, what belongs to God. Second principle, number two, give to store up treasure in heaven. Give to store up treasure in heaven. We have to think about this one because we uh, have a hard time with the concept of heaven and living in the next world with worldly things. But give to store up treasures in heaven. Go to Matthew chapter 6. It has been said that you can't take it with you. Isn't that true? Is that true? You can't take it with you? Yeah. But what if you could? What if you could take it with you? What if you gave to God through the church with the attitude of storing up treasure in heaven? Then you would be, in a sense, taking it with you, right? Or at the very least, you would be sending it on ahead. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Why do we just take the offering and not count it in front of all of you? Because we want to do this quietly, privately, between you and God. Giving is an act of worship. Amen? It is. It should be anyway. So it's between you and God. So when we count the money, when our people count money, they do it in the back. And they don't really care about whose name is on the check. They're just more concerned about making sure they get a right accounting for the bank. That's the way it should be. What you give to God in this life will bring you a reward. Have you ever thought about that? Why else would Paul say that in verse 1 when he says, if you do, you'll have, no, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. If you don't take care of your acts, if you don't do your acts of righteousness in the right way, guess what happens? You'll get no reward. So if you do them in the right way, what happens? You get a reward. Yeah. God is into rewarding us. The pattern of this world is to store up for ourselves so we can take it easy. That's really what greed is all about. Storing up for ourselves, not worrying about uh, anybody else, not trusting in God. Now, there's nothing wrong with having money in the bank. Anybody got a checking account, savings account? Anybody got a retirement account? Anything like that? Yeah, it's, it's okay. if you do, it's okay. If you don't, I hope you can begin to start that. But uh, there's nothing wrong with having money in the bank to meet your needs. God says, wise to set aside something for emergencies or when you can't work. It's wise to do that. He encourages us to, that, to do that. But what if we begin to see our income and our possessions as gifts from God. What if we saw it as, a, as gifts from God and begin to give back at least a portion of that back to Him? When we give to God, we are storing up treasures in Him because we're releasing it to Him and to His kingdom. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 21. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then just to be clear, look again at verse 4. Look what he says, so that your giving may be in secret, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, another reward. 
Now, we don't give demanding the reward, do we? No. We give trusting God will reward us in some way. Your giving is your giving. I don't see your giving. My giving is my giving, and most of you don't see my giving. The most important thing when it comes to giving is what? To please God. To honor God. And He will reward us for what we give, and He will reward us, unfortunately, for what we don't. When He's laid it on our hearts to do something and we don't, that's a sin of omission. So giving up, tre- giving to store up treasure in heaven is a good thing for Christians. It's what Jesus said to do. The first principle is to give to God what is God. The second principle is to give to store up treasure in heaven. And the third is to make eternal friends. Does anybody like, does anybody here don't want to have friends ever in your entire life? Do you just, I do not want to have any friends ever? No, we all like to have friends. We all like to be on good terms with people. We all like certain people more than we like others. We all want to have friends. And we should want to have eternal friends. Go to Luke 16 with me. Jesus spoke about money more than any other topic in the Bible, including heaven and hell. Isn't that something? He talked about money so much, it's crazy. Why did he focus so much on money? Because money has a great deal of power in this world. It has a great deal of power influence. Just look at politics and you'll see what I'm saying. Politics is driven by money and power. But especially in America today, money has a great deal of power. America has become an atheistic, humanistic, consumeristic-driven culture. So our economy is driven off of what? Spending money for things. That's why you can walk down the halls, the aisles of any grocery store or Walmart or anything like that, and you can get a candy bar anywhere in the store because they want you to buy that candy bar. And then just in case you don't buy it anywhere else, where's that candy bar at? It's right there at the, at the register along with gum and lighters and all kinds of, of things that they want to just impulse buy. They just want you to buy something. So, so that you'll just spend some money. So our culture is driven to spending money, money on ourselves. How many of you have ever heard of a family called the Kardashians? Have you heard of the Kardashians? If you haven't heard of them, you must be living in a cave somewhere because they're all over media and culture. What are they famous for, do you know? Huh? Being stupid? Well, that's, Perry said that, God, not me. Um. <laughs> excessive consumption, uh, uh, just an extravagant lifestyle, being very self-absorbed. I guess you could say that's stupid in some ways, right? Yeah. For being concerned more about their image than our relationship with God, which if you follow them for any time, you never hear them talking about faith or being Christians or, or what they're doing to try to, to build a relationship with God. Here in Luke chapter 16, Jesus describes this man who worked for another man and, and he managed his resources. He was a manager. Verse 1, Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager anymore. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I have no, no, I'm not strong enough to dig. 
and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called into each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, set, sit down quickly and make it 400. Um, yeah. And then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill, make it 800. What's he doing here? He's what? He's building friends. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. This man learned he's going to be audited. The books are going to be audited. So what does he do? He knows he's going to be fired. He's got to do something. So he cooked the books in favor of those who owed his boss money. He did this in order to make them his friends. This man was worldly smart. Very worldly smart. He knew he's going to get fired. He doesn't care anymore about his boss or his boss's resources. He's only concerned about his future. He's worldly smart. Now look at verse 9. I tell you, Jesus said, or verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than they are people of the light. This is Jesus speaking. Then he says, Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. That is a reward in a way. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will you give property of your own? And that's something. Jesus is talking here and he says, Give so that you have eternal friends. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwelling. What kind of friends are Jesus, is Jesus talking to, about here? What's he, who's he referring to? He, obviously God, right? God is the eternal friend, right? So you should give to, to win him as a friend. You would want him. I want him as a friend, don't you? Yeah, I do. But also people, other people. But, who come to, to know Jesus as their Savior because you and I gave money to the church so that we could have ministries that shared the gospel, like like VBS for kids during the summer, like Lottie Moon at Christmas time, or Viola Webb in the in the spring, or Sunday school, or worship service, or an, or an outreach event, somewhere where the Bible is taught or the gospel is shared and people can come to Christ. And we supported that through our giving. Listen to something Paul said in in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. For what is our hope, he says, our joy or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ? Is it not you? He's talking about people, isn't he? He's talking about winning people for eternity. Can you imagine how many friends Paul has in eternity? I bet he has a lot, don't you? All the things that he said that gave hope, he never said that people are automatically condemned. No, he always wrote about, hey, there's hope. Jesus died for you. If you give him your life, let him change your heart, live for him, you'll be blessed. Think of the friends he has in heaven. Are we thinking the way Paul did? Are we thinking the same way that he did? Are we giving to make eternal friends? I hope so. 
But if you're not, if we're not doing that, we can start this year. You know that? We can always start. That's the thing. That's the thing about God and Jesus. We can always start. We might not be doing it, but if we all started, well, that's very pleasing to him. Isn't it? Yeah. Listen to this as a warning. 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all evil. All kinds of evil. For the love of money. Not money. Money is not the root of evil. It's the love of money. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That's sad, isn't it? That is really sad. Well, the fourth principle this morning is so generously. When you give, so generously. Go to 2 Corinthians 9. And look at verse 6 with me. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, Remember this. That's an admonition there. That's a challenge. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. For each man should give what he's decided his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Wow. These verses are so simple, aren't they? Right? These are so simple to understand, they don't need to be explained. The problem is we struggle to apply them to our lives, to live them out. Because we're taught to look out for number one, aren't we? All the way through school, you're taught, look out for number one. You're going into high school, you're a freshman. You better look out. Those, those seniors are coming for you. You better look out. Look out for number one. You go to the workplace. Hey, you have to strive to improve yourself. you got to get that, that promotion. you got to step on other people just to make it in this world. Look out for number one. We're also told, hey, you worked for it. It belongs to you. You worked hard. It's yours. Keep it. Sowing generously is taking from farming. Farming back in the first century in Paul's day and Jesus' day was much different than it is today. There was absolutely no equipment, hardly at all. There was hand equipment mainly. So did you want so back then it was do you want to reap a what kind of harvest did you want to reap? Did you want to reap a meager harvest? Did you want to reap a good harvest? Or did you want to reap a abundant harvest? The harvest depends on the amount of seed that's sown. It's just a fact of life. We have these bushes in our backyard. They're called the Rose of Sharon bushes. have these beautiful big flowers, blooms on them. But when the fall comes, they die off. They go into hibernation. There's just tons of little pods of seeds all over these big bushes. I mean, there's just a bun there's just tons of them. And they're supposed to fall on the ground and supposed to reproduce. And they haven't done that yet. I keep wondering what the heck. You know, my yard is not full of these Rose of Sharon, uh, Sharon bushes because they got hundreds and hundreds of of little beads, uh, buds all over them. The harvest depends on how much seed is sown. It's just the way life is. Now, some of you might be thinking right now, Gary, you're starting to sound like a prosperity preacher. You might be thinking that. I don't know. Well, maybe the church needs to rethink biblical prosperity. Maybe we need to re-understand what it means to be truly prosperous in this world. And so what do I mean by biblical prosperity? It's taking what I have and giving it or sowing it for the benefit of God's kingdom. That's the mindset, I think, of biblical prosperity. With the expectation that God can make greater use of my resources than I can. And boy, is that true. 
I have a lot of things I want to spend money on. But God can take my money and use it much greater than I ever could. I believe that, and I also believe this. I believe that God will take care of me and will bless me for being a generous giver when I am. I believe that. I've tried to practice that. Look at verse 10 and 11. Now he who supplies seeds of the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your share or your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. That's what we should want. That's the prosperity. That's what we should want. You'll be made rich in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. Why does God give us more? So that we can be generous again and again. Not to hold on to it. Not to put it in the bank only there. to Take care of our wants, but also to, to give it back, to reinvest it. I'm not talking about getting rich. Besides, being rich can be measured in many ways other than a bank account. Rich in health. Rich in joy. Rich in... Uh, your walk with God, rich spiritually, you know, all kinds of things. Rich in family, rich in friends, all kinds of riches besides just a bank account. I'm talking about giving to God with an open hand, believing by faith that God will respond to my giving in better ways than I could ever expect or ask or demand. That's a much different attitude about biblical prosperity. Listen to James 5 verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that's coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted. Boy, isn't that so true today? People cling on to stuff and it just goes away. Moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Gold and silver don't corrode. They're very pure. But here, in an eternal sense, they will corrode. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. It's a warning from God. Our culture, our culture lies to us all the time about money. Did you know that? Not just only about money, but really does lie about money. It says we need more money because things will make us happy. And that's a lie. Or that money is the answer to every problem. Got health issues? Money. You need something? Money is the answer. You're going into old age retirement? You better have some money. Wouldn't it be better to have God on your side than money? I think really it's true. Our culture says a person is measured by how much they have versus what they're doing with what they have. Are we spending our money wisely, positively, with just an attitude of faith? So I think Christians need to rethink why they give, and hopefully these four principles can help you do that. I do know this. As Anna and I have given to God through the church, we are, we're not rich people. But as we've given to God, God has never ignored our needs along the way. And he's also blessed us spiritually and materially as well. I believe he'll treat you the same way as he treats us. Why wouldn't he? I mean, I'm just not that special. So as we get ready to end, we're going to end like we always do with a song. Jesus is tenderly calling. What a song to sing on, on a day when we talk about giving and money and things like that. But you know what? Jesus calls us to himself. Not for our money, but for us. That's what we really need to give to God, what is His, us. Let's stand and pray, and we'll get ready to sing. Father, we thank